Good morning. Hopefully uh, you have your Bibles with you. If you do, I encourage you to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be spending our time uh, this morning. I want to ask for your forgiveness up front. I'm used to wearing a headset and it follows me around. And, and as soon as I turned it on to do announcements, it acted up and it was acting up this morning. So I'm going to attempt to do it. See, I already just, I just did it right there. I moved the mic away from my face. So if I do that, hopefully you'll grant me some grace this morning. I'm not used to holding on to a mic while I preach, but uh, we're going to do that this morning. Um, let's pray before we dig into God's word. Dear God, I thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for the glory of the gospel. I thank you for the death of your son, Jesus Christ, for the blood that he shed, for, for, for the fact that he went to the grave, but he didn't stay there. He rose from the dead. And Lord, we look forward to new life and eternal life in you. And Lord, I thank you for that. Thank you for the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Lord, I pray that as we look at it this morning, that our, our minds would understand well what you would have for us and our hearts would be ready to embrace it. And Lord, that we would leave this place not um, unaffected, but that we would be challenged and that growth would happen in the hearing of your word. And I pray these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. How many of you guys love Tupperware? You like, tu- like Tupperware. Let's go with like. You like Tupperware? Yeah, I, I, I like Tupperware. How many of you are a little bit fanatical about it? Any, we got any fanatical people? No? All right. Yeah, there's a reason. why. Well, maybe a couple. Okay. There's a re- I brought some Tupperware this morning. I just went into uh, to our, our cabinet. It's not actually Tupperware. Actually, one of them is. That, that one says Tupperware. I don't actually know what these other ones are. They're probably like Glad or something. It's not very good marketing, right? They don't have their their logo on here that I can find anyways. But here's what I noticed about this. You know, you, you go into Tupperware, and I, I don't know if your cabinet's like ours. Sometimes it's organized, sometimes it's not. And it's probably more not than organized. But this morning, it was pretty organized. I, I went in, and, and my wife had all the, like, different sizes kind of stacked together and things like that. And so I grabbed some of those, and I grabbed some lids. And uh, here's, here's what I immediately noticed. Not one single lid that I grabbed matches any of the Tupperware that I grabbed. Has anybody ever had this experience? Yeah? All the time, right? It's, it's, like, it, it's, it's like, what in the world happens once you put it in the cat? And some of, some of you I know, some of you ladies love organization and things like that. And so guys too, but, but ladies seem to get a little more excited about Tupperware than guys, just generally speaking, right? And so you'll see a new one and they'll be color-coded, right? And you'll be like, I'm going to get the color-coded ones because the lids will match the bottoms and it'll be easy to keep track of. And it doesn't work, does it? Let's just be honest. It doesn't work. You buy the color-coded ones and, and the, you still have the bottoms and you can't find the, the right lid and, and there's a drawer full of lids, and we never throw them away, right? That's like rule number one for Tupperware. It's like, a, it's like the garage, right? You know, guys in bolts or, or tools or whatever, we never throw them away. Same thing, right? Women have their Tupperware sometimes. I know I'm being like, like genderist or something here, but you'll, you'll survive. It could be guys too. You can reverse it if you want. Any, any guys really excited about Tupperware? Okay, you three guys can, can be excited about it, okay? Anyways, we... You know, but you look and, and, and you never throw a lid away. So all of a sudden you've got, you've got drawer full of lids that match none of the Tupperware, that's none of the containers that are in your, in your cabinet, right? You guys all know this happens. Amen? 
Yeah, that's what I thought. It happens all the time. And you can't keep track of it. And then you get, you get, you get, you see, you're going through the store and you see a new kind of Tupperware and you're like, oh, wow, that one looks like it seals really good. I'm going to get that one. And then, you know, so, several months later, it's that one, that one, the lids, you know, come off really easy or something. I don't, I don't know. You, you see some amazing technological advancement in Tupperware if there is such a thing. And, and you buy Tupperware and you collect it and you still, you end up with this. And, and I have another question too. I, I, I grabbed these out of there this morning. What do you put in this? I mean, what? You get like one strawberry you put in this container. (laughs) I got two people yelling salad dressing. Okay. (laughs) You need a bigger container. I don't know what that's for. (laughs) Here's the thing with Tupperware, though. Tupperware is like, it, it, it's a container, and it, and it breaks, right? As a matter of fact, they're, they're kind of like something you throw away anymore. Uh, they used to be a little bit more sturdy. I don't know if you grew up with the same kind that I grew up on, you know, but when I was a kid, I remember having these, the Tupperware brand Tupperware, and they're pretty thick and, and whatever, and, and I wasn't strong enough to seal them. Like, you know, as a little kid, I'm like, ah, you've got to push the center, and I could never figure that out. I was always trying to go around the edges, and you'd get all the way around to the other side. It's almost there, no, and the other side pops open. You remember that? You know, maybe it was just me. But anyways, but it, Tupperware fades, right? And, it, and, it, and then it warps, and then you have lids that don't fit the bottoms, not because they weren't intended to fit the bottoms, but just because they've been used and maybe thrown in the microwave a few too many times, and all of a sudden it just doesn't quite fit right, or at least that's what you think as you try to jam it on there, only to realize that it's actually the wrong lid, and it doesn't quite fit because you've got the wrong container, right? And that's how it is, and they break, and you can replace it, and they're cheap. They're so cheap. Tupperware is so cheap. Well, believe it or not, in our passage this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about Tupperware. Sort of. Sort of. He talks about Tupperware, sort of. See, he talks about jars of clay. And jars of clay were the Tupperware of the first century. They were, they were cheap. They were everywhere. As a matter of fact, archaeologists go and they do these digs all over the world and in different historically important places. And they'll do digs and they'll find jars of, jar of clay, jar of clay, jar of clay, all over the place. Just everywhere. But to this day... Not one time have they ever found a lid. I'm really glad you guys got that because first service just stared at me. (laughs) You guys are awake, right? It's a little later in the day, right? Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but it is true that they were kind of the Tupperware of the day. They they, they were the kind of thing you just bought and you used until it cracked or broke, and then you just got a new one. You just threw it away and got a new one. They weren't, they weren't worth much. They were, they were fragile. They were, they were easily cracked or broken, and, and, they, and they got used up in a relatively quick way. But Paul talks about these jars of clay starting in, in, in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And he says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God. And not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not, dis- not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Jars of clay were fragile. They were easily broken. And in the same way that these jars of clay were fragile, that Tupperware is kind of something that can be used for a while, and then it, and then it kind of loses its, its effectiveness, if you will, We're kind of like that. We're containers. It's not that we lose our value. That's something different. But we're we're finite beings. 
We're, we're bod- our bodies are like jars of clay. We're, we're, not, we're not intended to endure eternally. We're, we're, we're finite and we're short-term, if you will. And Paul re- references this and talks about this as he begins to talk to the church in Corinth. And if you, you remember in the past few weeks, we've been talking about the church in Corinth. And Paul had written this letter. And, and some of it's a response to, to his detractors, to his critics who had come. And, and they had said, hey, we, you know, we, we question your integrity. We're not, we're not sure you can be trusted. We're not really sure that, that, that th- these people should be listening to you. And, and really beginning to question Paul and questioning his authority and questioning whether he, he should be uh, able to speak into their lives and, and to lead them. And Paul references this idea of ministry and recognizes that, hey, I'm just a jar of clay. I'm easily fallible. I'm easily broken. I, I, I can, I, I'm not perfect in, in any sense of that word. But God's grace is shown in that he sustains us and the treasure or message we carry. And that's what's important as we look at this text this morning, that God sustains us and, 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 and keeps us as, as the treasure we carry is so, so important. Paul reflects on his ministry, and ministry is hard. Ministry is hard. Now, here's the thing. As we begin to talk about ministry, some of you might tend to begin to think about ministry is what you do, Pastor John. That's what you do, not necessarily what I do. You may have received a call to the ministry, Pastor John, but, but I haven't really received that call. But can I just tell you that is a completely wrong way of thinking about it. It's completely wrong. Here's the reality. Ministry is part of following Jesus. Whether you do it vocationally, whether you're the pastor at a church or, or, or you work at a nonprofit or, or something like that, we, that's ten, we tend to think about that's ministry. But, but can I just tell you something? No, 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 no. That, that's a piece of ministry. Sure, I do ministry. People who work at, 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 at Christian nonprofits do ministry and, and things like that. That's true. But every person who follows Jesus Christ is called to ministry. Every single person. There isn't one single person on the face of the planet who is a follower of Jesus Christ that is not called to ministry. And that's really important as we begin to think about this. Because sometimes I think we look at ministry as it's, it's, it's kind of like an option. It's, it's all a cart, right? It's, 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 it's a buffet-style thing. We kind of walk up to Jesus and we go, I, I'm gonna, I believe in Jesus, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm not really going to do ministry. No, 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 that's not an option. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called to do ministry in one way or another. It may not look like the person next to you. It may not look like ministry in the way that I do it, but you are called to ministry. There is no question about if. It's only a question of how and where and how you will apply that in your life. You are called to ministry. But ministry is hard. And some of you have been in ministry. You've been in ministry maybe for a long time, whether it's on a volunteer basis or, or, or something like that. Whatever, whatever the basis is of that ministry, whatever kind of ministry you've been involved with, some of you have done it for a long time. And, and you might reach a point where you, where you experience some tiredness, right? We, ha- we often like to call it burnout. Or I was introduced to another human resources term after first service. Somebody came up to me and said, and said there's a term called rust out. And you know, burnout's the idea that, yeah, you can recover from that. Rust out is, is the idea that you can't recover. But whatever the case, but God, by the way, through, through the power of God, you can recover from anything. There's no such thing of rust out when it comes to Jesus. 
But we get tired, and it's hard, and maybe we've had critics. Maybe we've had people come along and say, well, I don't like the way you do that ministry, or I don't like the, the way you do this, or, 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 or this, is, this is a problem that you have in, in doing ministry. And you've had the critics, you've had the, the kind of arrows come at you. And this is what Paul was experiencing, right? He had his detractors. He had people in Corinth who were questioning him. And by the way, these weren't people from outside the church. These were people inside the church. In other words, it was friendly fire. And, he, and, and they were questioning him, and, and Paul in 2 Corinthians begins to kind of defend himself and say, and say, hey, wait a minute, we need to recognize some things. But in this passage, he recognizes that he, him, uh, Paul and his, his partners in ministry, they're jars of clay. They're Tupperware. It's not about them. And what happens a lot of times when we get in that, into that mode, we begin to focus on the container. And we begin to think, the issue is that I'm tired, I'm burned out, I this. And what's the common denominator? I. Right? And we begin to think about all the arrows that are coming at us. And Paul does this, right? He says, I've been persecuted. It's, I've, it's pressed. I've been pressed from every side. And all of these things. Yet, as he, be, as he says those things, he also says, we are pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. In other words, even though he's a jar of clay, even though these things are coming at him, even though he's facing these difficulties, God sustains him. God sustains him. God shows his grace and his mercy in those moments, and God sustains him in all of those situations. Ministry is hard. It's tiring, whether you're a pastor, a children's director, a Sunday school teacher, simply somebody who, who leads a Bible study or who, who goes and ministers to those in need or whatever the case is, ministry's hard. It's tiring. And sometimes there's persecution. And Paul was not speaking of that which he did not know. He had been shipwrecked. He had been thrown in prison. He had been beaten. All of these things for the sake of, sh- of sharing the gospel, of preaching the truth and the good news. But what Paul recognized and what we need to realize is that it's not about the fragile container, but the eternal contents. It's not about the fragile container, but the eternal contents. In other words, what is in the Tupperware, right? I mean, you, you begin to think about it. What do we put in Tupperware? We, we, we cook a meal. You know, we had burn family dinner last night, and my wife... Um, made a bunch of uh, chicken and rice, and, and, and she was nice to me and, and made some, some fish for, for, for me, and, um, and she, she made all this stuff, right? And there was a whole bunch of rice left over, and she did that on purpose so that, because rice is a part, part of my eating diet thing that I do, and so rice is part of that. So she made a lot of extra. That way I, we could put it in a Tupperware, right? And right now it's sitting in the fridge, and I don't care about the Tupperware. Can I just tell you the truth? I don't care, but I love the fact that there's rice in there that sustains me. It gives me life. It gives me the nutrients that I need, right? In the same way, we are jars of clay. We are Tupperware, but we carry around with us the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about the container. It's about the contents. And we need to remember that because when we get focused on the container, we forget about the purpose in our ministry. We forget about the message of the gospel that we carry with us everywhere we go. It's not about the fragile container, 
but the eternal contents. I was thinking about this, and in the passage, Paul talks, Paul talks about, uh, he says this, he says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. I'm going to read that again. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And I was thinking about this. And I was thinking about, about this whole idea of death and, and, and the idea of a pallbearer. A number of years ago, my, my grandpa passed away and uh, we, we had a memorial service in Florida and then one in Minnesota. And I, I flew back to Minnesota where I'm from uh, to participate in that, in that service. And, and, and I was one of the pallbearers, right? And, you know, you go and you, you carry it. Often it's a casket. He wasn't in a casket. He was uh, in an urn. But, but there was a special, I don't know, device, if you will. My uncle actually makes them that, for an urn so that you could still kind of do that do that with pallbearers. And so, so I was one of the pallbearers. And I was, I was thinking about what, what's the purpose of a pallbearer. What, what do they do? Why are they doing that? Is it, is it really about they just need somebody to move the casket? Is that, is that all that's being done there? And as I began to think about it, I don't think that's really it. I've done a lot of memorial services over the years, and, and very few of them required pallbearers. We didn't, we didn't need to move a casket or an urn. I suppose if you, if you did need to move it, you could say, well, we just need somebody to lift it. But they're always chosen very carefully, right? Like they, don't, they don't just pick anybody. They don't just grab six people as they walk in the door and say, hey, will you be the pallbearer? There's thought put into this. And so they ask certain people to participate in this. And the question is why? Why would they do that? And as I began to think about it, and, and I didn't think about it back then, but just this week, you know, you, you get around the, the person being carried, and you, and you carry them, and you move them, and it's about putting them on display. It's about the remembrance, right? It's, it's almost like a, a parade of sorts of, of memorializing their life, mourning their loss, and, and remembering as we, as we move this person from, from this place to that place, that these people are carrying and putting that person, their life, on display. It's not just about moving a casket. If it was just about that, they'd just have anybody do it. In the same way, Paul says, we always carry around our body, in our body, the death of Jesus. I think that's kind of what we're pallbearers for Jesus in a certain sense. He didn't remain dead, right? He, he resurrected from the dead. He was buried and resurrected to new life. And we have that, but as we walk around in this world... We carry with us the message of the gospel that is found in a significant part in his death. We are, in a sense, pallbearers, and we bring Jesus as witnesses to his life and to what he did. In the same way we bring around the resurrection, too. It's not just about his death. It's also about the resurrection. But we are pallbearers in that we, we carry with, with us the message of Jesus Christ. But sometimes we forget that's what we're doing. Sometimes we get focused on the container instead of the contents. And we begin to, to think that, that it ends with the container. When we are focused on, on our comfort rather than God's calling on our life, we are focused on the container and not the contents. In verse 11, Paul says this, For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. In other words, we are in this temporary state that we exist in, right? In this temporary state, we carry around death. We're being turned over to death. But death is not the end of the story. Life is the end of the story. 
And in the same way that, that Jesus rose from the dead, we look forward to a time when we too will rise from the dead, when we will have new life. God is the God of life. It isn't a question of whether God has called you, but how you will implement God's call in your life. Will you start a Bible study at your work? You know, it's, people, people are spiritually hungry in this world. Bible study at work, it, it's kind of an old way of thinking about things. Oh, do I really want to do that? Can I even do that? And, and the answer is, well, yeah, you can do that. Can you do it at your work? I don't know. But you can invite people from your work. Maybe you do it at a coffee shop once a week before work or after work or whatever. There's ways to do that. There's ways, there's ways to become a minister in the place where you work, whether it's a construction company or, 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 or a lawyer's, or you're a lawyer or, or whatever you are, a doctor, you collect garbage, whatever you do, it doesn't matter. God has given you that place and that time to do ministry. You are called to ministry, and maybe it's not a Bible study. Maybe there's another way. Maybe, maybe there's a way you can minister to a neighbor. They have a need, and you have a way of supplying that need. You are called to ministry, and you might go, well, John, I'm too tired. John, I don't have time. John, I don't have this resource. And, and I, okay, but you're called to ministry. I don't know what to tell you. Ministry is not an option. It's a responsibility as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not a la carte. We don't pick and choose. As a matter of fact, if we back up to verse 1 of chapter 4, it says this, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, it's not the container, but Jesus Christ as Lord. It's the contents. Okay, those are editorial comments. They aren't in the text, just in case you're wondering. And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. In other words, ministry is a mercy given by God. See, sometimes we get confused. Sometimes we see ministry as a burden. It's that extra thing. It's that, it's that thing that I've got to fit into my schedule somehow or some way. I don't, I don't have time for it. I don't, I don't have the energy for it. it we, we view ministry as a burden, but ministry is not a burden. Ministry is a mercy given to us by God. Re, remember what we just read in that, in that first verse of this chapter? It says, therefore, since through God's what? Mercy, we have this ministry. We do not lose heart. Mercy, or ministry, is a mercy given to us by God. And I think there's many ways which this plays out. One of the ways that this plays out in our lives is this, that sometimes we go through really hard times, really difficult things that we face in life. We face afflictions of, of various kinds, whether it's medical things, whether it's financial things, whether it's relational things, family things. We can face all kinds of difficulties in our lives. 
And sometimes we get so focused on those that we go, man, I just don't have anything else to add. I can't do ministry. I, I, I can't look outside of my own issues. But I, I just want to tell you that that's not how we should view things. As a matter of fact, that's how our human nature wants to because we just can't see past it. Because sometimes the problems that we're facing are so difficult for us, so significant for us, that we have a hard time seeing past it. But if we can adjust our eyes, if we can adjust our gaze and our focus and, and do what the author of Hebrews commands us to do and keep our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, if we can do that, if we can look beyond, if we can see the ministry that we might have with others, then sometimes what we find is that ministry becomes a mercy to us. We begin to see that there are other people who are hurting, and we begin to realize that God has given us gifts and talents and abilities and skills to be able to give that to somebody else. And in doing so, our eyes come off of those burdens that we feel, and we begin to realize that those burdens aren't nearly as big as we thought they were. That God's mercy is found in those moments. That God is still sovereign. God is in control. That we can trust him because he's always faithful. Ministry is a mercy that God gives us. That isn't to diminish the significance of, of the issues that we face. Sometimes they are overwhelming and huge and we need each other to spur one another on towards love and good deeds and we and and we need each other to comfort one another and to express love towards one another we need those things right but that's one person giving the gift of ministry to another ministry is a mercy given by god but with that mercy comes a responsibility Because it's not just a mercy, it's also a responsibility. As a matter of fact, Paul, in the passage that we just read, basically says this, I I have to tell the truth. I have to be faithful to God's word. Because there are those out there who twist things and, 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 and take God's word and make it say things that it doesn't say. And he may have been directly pointing the finger at some of his critics and, and telling the church in Corinth, these people have come along, right? And they've, they've twisted God's word. They haven't been faithful to it. And you need to be able to have the discernment to see that. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to be faithful to the word of God. Now here's the thing, culture comes along. And culture says, oh, you can't really believe, you don't really believe that, do you? You can't really hold to this belief in your faith. You can't really hold to that belief in your faith, can you? I mean, if you want to stay relevant, church, and it's amazing how often this comes from somebody outside the church and beginning to tell the church what it should and should not believe, and they come along and they say, you can't believe those things. If you want to stay relevant, if you still want to have an impact in culture, you have got to disregard what the Bible says about this or disregard what the Bible says about that. In other words, there becomes pressure on the church and on people of faith to either keep it to themselves, which runs contrary to Scripture, by the way. Jesus didn't die in private on a cross. He died in public on a cross. He died for all who would believe. It's a public faith to put your faith in Jesus Christ. But they come along and they say, well, you can't, you can't believe those things if you are going to be relevant in culture. You can't follow those old archaic ways if you are going to be relevant to the world today. But here's what the text that we look at today tells us. Our job is not to make people happy. 
or to be culturally appropriate, but to be biblically faithful. I'm going to read it again. Our job is not to make people happy or to be culturally appropriate, but to be biblically faithful. While ministry is a mercy, it comes with a responsibility. And our responsibility is not to culture. And our responsibility isn't even to the person sitting next to you. Our responsibility is to God. And we will stand before him one day. And what we look for is not that he will say, wow, I'm really glad that you were culturally appropriate. It's not what he's going to say. He's not going to stand there and say, wow, you you did a great job in discerning which parts of the Bible you should believe and which parts you shouldn't. He's not going to say that. What's he going to say? Hopefully, what we strive for, what we long for, the words that we hope he will look at us and say is, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's not how many likes you get on Facebook. There's only one like that matters, and it's God's. That's it. That's who we owe our allegiance to. I can't help but think about Christians in the Middle East who literally risk their lives every time they share the gospel, or Christians in China who, who meet in secret because if they... If they were to be found out, they would be thrown in prison. Or Christians that are increasingly being persecuted in places like like India because they follow Jesus because because it's the wrong religion for their country and numerous other places around the world. And yet here in the United States where we fear almost none of that, though persecution on some level may be increasing and we do see it in places in large we fear none of that. And yet we're con- too concerned about what culture thinks, what others think about our faith. Some people will come and they will challenge the word of God. Some may persecute those who carry the message, and some may wage all-out war against God himself, and sometimes they'll even disguise it in religious language. They put words in God's mouth, appealing to the love of God, but defining it on their own terms instead of his then they persecute those who remain true to God's word and live according to scripture. Paul has words for you when you face those kinds of things. And in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he starts out by saying this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light. And momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what, what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let me sum it up this way. Nothing temporary compares to the eternal glory that awaits those who believe. Nothing temporary compares to the eternal glory that awaits those who believe. You know, this, uh, I did something I'm not sure is intelligent. I'll let you know next week, maybe. Um, I signed up for a half marathon on July 4th. I thought, thought, hey, I'll just, I'll just do that. Now, I, I'm not completely, I'm not a complete idiot, Right? I've, been, I've been running, I've been training, right? Like, it's not like I signed up and just thought, well, I'm not training, I'm just going to go run it. I'm not that dumb. You know, I, I, if I did that, I'd last like a mile or maybe two miles, and then I'd just fall over. But, but I've been training for it, and, and it's been hard, and this last week was especially hard. Um, I ran the most miles, you know, as far as like a week of, of running that I've, that I've ever probably run in my life. And, uh, 
and I, and I kind of had these goals, and I've been working towards it, and I, and I kind of came to, I came to Friday, and Friday was going to be my last long run before this coming Thursday, just, just kind of a, you know, get out kind of close to it, but not, not, not quite run the whole thing, and so my plan was, I was going to run nine or ten miles, just kind of how, based on how I felt, nine or, nine or ten, somewhere around that, and, um, and, and, I ran quite a bit this week prior to that, and then uh, and then on Thursday night, you know, I, I kind of had I injured my calf a little bit, and so I, I actually got up Friday morning, kind of going, I don't know if I'm even going to run, you know, I'm not sure I can do that, but, but I thought, well, I need to at least try, so so I thought, well, maybe my calf will loosen up as I as I run, and, and I'll be able to do it, and so I go, okay, so I'm going to run, so so I get out and I, I get on the road and I, I'm running about a mile in, my calf kind of loosens up, and I'm like, okay, my my muscles are feeling better, I'm going to go for it, I'm going to try to reach that goal that I had that now nine or ten miles. And can I just tell you that it, I didn't make it. <laughs> I did not make the nine or ten miles. I got to mile six, which I run six miles all the time. That's not, that's not weird. You know, that's not an unusual amount for me. So I, so I got to six miles, and my body was just kind of screaming at me. It was like, it was like John, I, I'm not in good shape right now. You shouldn't be doing this to yourself. Like, stop. And, and, uh, and so I, I, at six miles in, I, I, I literally did stop, too, by the way. I kind of stopped and, you know, stopped my watch because I don't want, I don't want to, you know, I don't want it counting the time that I'm standing still during the run, right? So I stopped my watch, and, and, and I just kind of sat there, and I went, okay, what am I going to do? And, you know, just took a couple breaths. It wasn't that I was out of breath, but my, my muscles were just kind of giving out, if you will. And I just went, man, I just need to go home. And so I did. I went home. And I, and I, I ran. There was, I was about a mile away from home, so I just went, I'm just going to go home, and that's going to have to be good enough. And I'll rest up this week, and hopefully I'll be in good shape. I ran eight on, on Monday, so it's not like I can't go further or anything. I'm not really that worried about it. But here's the interesting thing about it. It hurt. And quite frankly, it still hurts today as I'm standing in front of you. Like, my, my muscles are still kind of recovering. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm physically, you know, I'm not like dying or anything. But like, I, I'm not feeling the greatest, right? I'm, I'm kind of in some, some pain from this, this last week. And, and, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, how, how am I going to do this? come Thursday, and it will be the furthest I've ever ran. This isn't something I do all the time. It was kind of a goal, and by the way, you know, it's a really big goal, too, for me, but notice they call it a half, which means I'm not even doing the full, right? You know, but I'm doing the half, and that's my goal, so I'm going to do the half, and so here's the thing. I, if you'd asked me a couple years ago, I would have said, I hate running. So I probably said that to some of you. I hate running, and I've kind of made friends with it, but here's the point I'm trying to make. On Thursday, God willing, once I cross that finish line, there will be kind of a, a minute, tiny little bit of glory just for me, like nobody's taking pictures, except for maybe my wife. I might get her to take a picture, right? But, but you know, it'll just be like, hey, look, I achieved my, my little goal. Nobody else in the, in the world will really care that much, you know, maybe because you're my friends. You might go, oh, good job, John, or something like that, but that's it. Like, it's not, it's not going to change anybody's life. But there's this tiny little bit, bit of glory, but the sacrifice that you go through, the affliction that you go through when you go out and you run and you put in the work, it doesn't always feel good. There's times that, there's times that it's hurt, right? You face that affliction. I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can handle it. I don't know if my body will, will, will go through this. And yet you do it for this tiny little bit of glory. That's kind of like ministry. Except for the glory is the glory of God. The glory is the glory of the gospel. The glory is the glory of an eternal kingdom. In other words, the temporary affliction that we face in the here and now as we do ministry is far outweighed by the glory that we experience by basking in God's glory in the eternal kingdom in the future. 
in, in some tiny little way, they're kind of similar. And sometimes we give up too soon when it comes to our ministry, and, and, we, don't, and we forget that nothing temporary compares to the eternal glory that awaits those who believe. My grandma was a smart woman. I'm talking about my grandpa and my grandma in the same message. But my grandma was a really smart woman and uh, respected her a great deal. And she had this phrase that she would use, and she passed it on to my mom. I'm not sure where my grandma got it from. You've probably heard it before, but she would say this. She would say, some people are so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. Have you heard that phrase before? Some people are so heavenly-minded they're no earthly good. And I don't do this very often. As a matter of fact, I always hesitate when I, when I do because I think my, my grandma was an extremely intelligent and wise woman, but I think she got this one wrong. I, I think she made a mistake on this one. As a matter of fact, Scott J. Hoffman might agree with me. And as he comments on this passage, he says this, only those who are heavenly-minded are any earthly good. And I think that is so true. Only those who are heavenly-minded are any earthly good. In other words, our gaze, our eyes in this world is not on this world. We don't live for this life. We live for the next. We live to experience the glory of God, to bask in his presence, to, to, to participate in the eternal kingdom that awaits in whatever momentary afflictions that we face in this life, in ministry, they're far outweighed by the glory of God in the kingdom to come. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, you are so good to us. We are but jars of clay, but we carry with us the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that 